three-story county The Mustang still runs free Eagle soars above the pinion pines And we know these horses stand for something That is precious and more rare Than all the silver and the gold from them old mines So let them run Hi, welcome to Horse Sense 101. I'm your host, Joe Jones, Vale, Oregon's resident redneck and owner of Joe Jones Performance Horses. Horse Sense 101 is a podcast dedicated to helping you have a meaningful relationship with your horse and for them to be a willing partner in all your adventures. The podcast is available every Monday morning at 6 a.m. Mountain Time, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to join us on our Facebook group, Horse Sense 101. You can also find the podcast link, calendar, and news about our upcoming events on our webpage, www.horse-sense101.com, and sign up for our newsletter there as well. And if you have a moment and are so inclined, please leave a review on Podchaser. It's free, and I would really appreciate it. This week, I have the pleasure of visiting with Ms. Jan Parker. Jan is the manager of Billing Livestock Commission Horse Sale, which is the oldest horse market in Montana, having started in 1934. They are a consignment auction, hosting monthly catalog horse sales. So if you'd like to sell your daughter's pony, you can consign the pony to them, and they will market it for you. She is the manager of the largest monthly catalog horse sale in America. Jan is also an active competitor in the sport of cutting. She produces cuttings, shows cutting horses at the very highest level, and is a very talented horsewoman in her own right. I know you will enjoy listening to her wisdom. Good evening, Jan. Thank you so very much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to visit with me. How are you this evening? Absolutely great, Joe. How about you? Oh, I'm I'm having the time of my life. We, we finally have... Uh, I've gotten rid of all the snow and I've, I've got to start riding again. A couple of cults got started last week. And, and so my life is a lot of fun right now. Yeah, um, it's spring. It's good. Gosh, it's been, seems like it's been forever in the making, but every year it's the same thing. Um, so I, I uh, you know, I've been a fan of the, of the Billings horse sale for a very long time. And, and, I, and I've, I've known, who you are, um, but you know you're always so busy that I I've never really got a chance to to learn very much about you. Um, tell me a little bit um, about your family life growing up, um, where you were raised, were you raised with horses? Um, let's talk about the the young Jan before uh, you became an equine professional. <laughs> before I was tainted and jaded, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I grew up in Fargo, North Dakota, and my grandparents farmed in Minnesota, both sets of my grandparents, so I grew up around cattle. I got my own horse when I was 12, went through the 4-H program, I showed, I ran barrels. When I was 21, I moved to Montana, and I was the executive secretary for the Northern Rodeo Association, 
And that was just like a dream come true. I had been in college at North Dakota State, go bison, and came out to Montana on a Christmas break and walked into that job and I never looked back. And it, it was uh, like a gift to me. I, I really feel like I have been lucky in my lifetime to do two things that I'm very passionate about. When I worked for Northern Rodeo, I met so many people and I learned how to produce events. I had the opportunity to work with producers. I met my husband uh, who rodeoed, uh, exposed to so much of it. So many of the people that I met during those years with Northern Rodeo, secretarying events, working with the promotion, promotion folks, um, being the liaison between the committees, the cowboys and the contractors, you know, that's like this little triangle and you got to keep it in balance was the learning ground for the management of Billings Livestock Commission horse sales. So, so you've always basically loved everything about the Western way of life. Oh, absolutely. I've, I've always loved it. I've always, yes, absolutely. And I believe that it's on those of us that do love it to move forward with it and embrace it and wear your cowboy hat and be proud of it. Own it. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I listened to an interview that, um, that Taylor Sheridan did with Andre Fapani. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it was fascinating because I, I think, and I really believe in my heart that, that Taylor was correct when he said, that the Yellowstone series was so successful because it told a story of, of rural people um, by someone who was raised rurally. Um, and it, it was something that America's not ever seen before because everybody that produces television and movies uh, lives in urban and, and in a city environment. And, and Taylor grew up in Texas on a small, on a small farm. Uh, small ranch so he was he was as they say common as pig tracks Uh, Mm -hmm. and and so that shines through what he does and and it's important that we we promote this this lifestyle that we so desperately love right and it's why there's a dress code in rodeo because it that is us and it's pretty hard to go trotting over to Ariat or Stetson and ask them for a sponsorship when you're wearing a short sleeve shirt and a pair of shorts, you know, like we, we, those of us that uh, are neck deep in the industry, it's up to us to push it and preserve it and to show it. I'll never forget one of our horse sales. I had a man from Virginia come out to buy a gelding and, and this is 20 years ago. And he said, oh, my goodness. He said, I've never seen so many cowboys. He said, and they're not wearing caps. And I said, right. And he's like, if I wanted to see baseball players, I'd go to a ball game. (laughs) And I thought, amen. And I'm not going to say I won't wear a baseball cap on occasion, but not when I'm plugged in. Not when uh am i at the horse sale i'm at a cutting i'm at a roping i'm at a barrel race Nuh-uh. we you know, need to own funny. it yeah uh, a dear friend of mine leo woodbury was good friends with gary belafonte 
And Leo said that when you went, when you go over, go over to Gary's middle of the week, just to work horses, Gary's got mm -hmm. long, doesn't matter how hot, long sleeve shirts, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. cowboy hats, shaps, spurs. I mean, he is, he works his cults like he was ready to go show them. And, and that's just mm -hmm. the life he lived. Mm -hmm. He still lives it. Absolutely. Yes. Gary Belmont. Mm hmm. One of my, I, I'm one of my heroes. I'm, I'm a huge, a huge fan of that guy. Um, so, so that's basically you, you never really wanted to do anything else. So the decision to make a living with horses was, was that kind of why you went to college or, or at what point did you decide you wanted that this was the life you wanted? Well, I was in college and at that time, I don't know what they call it now, but it was called mass communications. And so I wanted to do PR. And I wanted to do public relations and marketing, and I always wanted to do that. And I just tripped into that job at the Northern Rodeo Association, and I loved it. I always thought I would go back to college and finish my degree. But I think that that's part of life, too, that if you find where you're supposed to land and you love it every single day, I mean... I really don't care. I don't have the degree because I have been lucky every day since I walked into that job. I loved it. And, and I didn't go home at five o'clock. I mean, I might be there at nine o'clock. I'm still the last one at Billings Livestock many, many days because that's how I roll. I love it. No. And, and I, I know that, I know that to be a fact. I've, I've been so tired. I can't see straight and look in the office and you're still going strong. It's like, I got to go lay down. Um, two o'clock uh -huh. in the morning and, and, and you're still, mm -hmm. you're still running the show. So I, I know you work incredibly hard. Well, um, I, I love it, you know, and I want to see other people succeed and people consign their horses to the horse sale. So and they entrust me and the people that work there and the people that are part of our team to deliver. And I mean, we all fall short. We're all human. I get it. But, but for the most part, our, my success, their success is my success. So I always have to kind of gnash my teeth when I get a butt chewing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday from a consigner who acts like I woke up that day and like thought, well, today is the day I'm going to pick on Joe Jones, <laughs> you know, and, and that's so far from the truth is because we want you to succeed. And I think that that is what has been actually the mantra of the whole horse sale it's why we have a preview it's why we have another preview it's why we were one of the first horse sales to include consigners phone numbers it's why we want you to consign them early i want every piece of what's out there so that it will shine on you and we can do a good job when you bring your horse to billings well and and you do work on commission so i mean the better right. we do as consigners I mean, that's, that's how you make your living is, you know, mm -hmm. if, if I've often, I've often attended events where I didn't get the feeling like the, the sale management worked on commission. And I never really understood that. Um, and, and I know for a fact, that's, that's not how you, how you do business in, in Billings. Um, I also no. know that you are um, not just, uh, you're not just a figurehead. Um, you're a pretty handy horsewoman yourself. Um, and I know, I know that, that probably the sale pays the bills. 
Um, but I, I've seen pictures of you on horses and know uh, know well enough to know that that you ride very well. As and so let's let's just talk a little bit about um, how horsemanship has has affected what you do. Um, you know, I, I know you I know you have great horses. I know you've competed at the highest level. Um, talk to me a little bit. What what would you define horsemanship as and how important is it, do you think, in what you do? Oh, uh, I think horsemanship for what I do is really important because I have to have an eye for a horse. I have to know the difference. And, you know, today I was at the rope horse fraternity here in Scottsdale and it's like you just don't ever shut it off. You just, you see it, you see it, you see it, you see it. And, and I think that that is part of it. Like I, it, I don't know how to shut it off. It just runs out of me and, and not, not out my mouth, I hope, but I mean, in my head, I'm going, oh yeah, nice. Like I like his tail set. I like how he drags it. I like how his head comes or attaches to his neck, you know, just like all the parts of it, but like actual horsemanship, Oh, you have to work on that every day. It's something that is never, you're never all the way there and you never get a hundred percent on your test. I mean, every day and you continue to work at it and you continue to find people that inspire you, who lead you, who help you, who critique you, who also want you to achieve, you know, that's the other part. And and I think that, you know, finding the right horse and I get it that not everybody wants to compete. I'm very competitive by nature. I want to do better. It's funny because at dinner tonight, we were just discussing that uh, NCHA at the fraternity and some rule changes and things. And it's like, man, I want every run I can get. I want them because every run for me makes me better. I don't want to combine it into one run. I want every run I can get so you just got to keep chipping at it and then I think too like like there's different parts of your life I mean back in the day before we had the horse sale the very first horse sale we ever managed was a sale at the college national finals when it was in Bozeman Montana and we did a performance horse sale and a bucking horse sale and I think back to those days and how it's tweaked and it's tweaked and it's tweaked. But back in those days, Bill and I traded horses and we would have a set of horses to go to the Northern National Gelding Sale in Billings at public auction. I'm sure we had a horse or two in that College National Finals horse sale. We'd go to Corsica. We'd go to Clovis, New Mexico. We always had a set of horses. Well, I mean, I would... I would tie mine up, saddle my horse up, tie it up in the round pen or tie it up in the arena, go to work, come home, get on my horse, ride it, make it better and do it again the next day. I mean, like, like now I, I don't have the time and I don't, I don't have those kind of young horses. It's different, but the horsemanship and the lessons that you learned and the dedication to hard work applies to you still. So uh, horsemanship, horsemanship to me is really important like I'll walk in and I'll go oh my god who tied that horse up I mean like and that's like <laughs> did I really just notice that or did I just notice that guy doesn't have a curb chain on his bridle yeah I did so yeah the quest for better maybe okay no that that's I, I like that I like that so mm -hmm. what what's mm -hmm. what's the best horsemanship advice you've ever received uh, seek good counsel. 
you do not know it all, continue to seek good counsel. I think I think that's incredibly wise. Um, I remember um, years ago there was a, an interview that Lee Trevino, the golf professional, did, and somebody asked him, you know, who his swing coach was, and Lee said, "Well, I don't have one." And and at that time, Lee Trevino was number one in the world. He was, you know, the Tiger Woods of of my youth, and he said, well, why would I take lessons from somebody that can't beat me? And, you know, that was pretty arrogant. And of course, Lee's kind of like that other than he's not really. But the point he was making was that it, when you go get, when you go get coaching, go get the very, very best. And I know in, in my life, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a lifelong student of the game of cutting and, you know, I reached out to to Bill Freeman and, and Chubby Turner and and the very best people that I could get a hold of. That's who I went to learn with. Um, and I, I think what you pointed out was, you know, seek good counsel has has shortened the learning curve, I think, drastically. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And, and I think too perfect practice, too. It's it's interesting. Like, I don't run a flag because I never ran the flag. I had someone running it and coaching me. And I read an article one time about Tuff Cooper that says, hey, he doesn't rope unless his dad was there or someone that roped better than he was there to critique it. Because perfect practice makes perfect professional showmanship. Yes. I don't care if you rope, you run barrels, you cut, or even if you want a trail ride, just the, just, seek good counsel seek those that are better than you seek it out great 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 hey hey tell me tell me about a horse that uh that touched your horse uh or to, to touch your tell me about a horse that touched your heart um or oh my or, gosh, or so even a horse that changed how you do things or maybe that maybe changed both. How, so i think there's a lesson in what i'm going to share with you two things the, the horses, it's funny, I, and it's not because I read your question. I was thinking about this the other day, about the horses that really impacted me. Number one, they cribbed. There were four of them that really impacted me, and all four of them cribbed. All four of them would not pass a vet. And all four of them taught me so much, won me so much, bought me so much confidence and basically pushed me into the next level of cutting and had those horses, number one, not cribbed, had those horses been a hundred percent, I would never had the opportunity to ride them or own them. And I think that that is a real lesson for competitors that sometimes buying that very perfect horse. I mean, we want perfect but, but that's really balance that because those that aren't perfect may be the ones that get you where you wanted to go. So maybe my most influential horse, gosh, maybe my very first horse. My, I told Bill, we went to Fort Worth and watched the cutting horse fraternity in 2001 and I left there and I said, you know what, Bill, I don't want to run barrels anymore. I don't want to do that. I want to cut. Like, I love the horsemanship. And he's like, well, maybe we can see how we can swing that. But I don't know how. And about 
Two months later, someone had put a cutting horse in our horse sale. I begged him for it. I said, come on, I'll sell this. I'll sell that. Let me buy him. He cost $3,600. He was eight years old. He hadn't won a dime. He cribbed. Bill was so mad. He cribbed and Bill said, both front legs come out of the same hole, Jan. We can't even rope on him if he doesn't cut. Well, I went on to win the 2000 limit rider that year on him. We sold him for more money than we'd ever gotten for a horse. Uh, those folks went on and won a bunch with him. He went through like three more people and taught them to cut and, and catapulted them onto their next level. And it's like, you know, had we known he cribbed, probably wouldn't have bought him. But, you know, that, that horse mattered because... It, he gave me a chance to get addicted to it, I guess, to get a taste of it, you know, and his name was Warlio what? And he probably was the most um, game changing for me because it got me in the game. Yeah, there, there is nothing. I don't think there's any drug more addictive, in my hmm. opinion than a horse that outthinks you and, and, and beats you to the stop and turn. I, I just, I mean, if you don't, if you don't just fall for that, you don't have a soul. Um, it's it, to me, it's the most amazing thing that a horse can do, but you know, again, I don't ride world-class jumping horses. So maybe I'm talking about something I don't know enough about. Um, but I, I certainly can understand how, you know, that, that could, you know, basically ruin you for the rest of, yeah, of uh, your, your horse career. <laughs> right. And, and I me. know I lived it on, on the roping side too, because Bill rode professionally for many years. That's what he did. National finals, etc. Yeah. And he wasn't, he wasn't just kind of good. Your husband right. was world-class. Right. Roper and absolutely and horseman. And um, I know the horses that Bill rode. I mean, they weren't sound, trust me. I mean, they were maintainable, but it's like to afford the perfect, even back in the day, your average person couldn't afford perfect and go in. And I, I think that still holds true for today. You know, like seriously, I have won the majority of my money on horses that somebody passed on because they thought they saw their vet saw a shadow here. They didn't think this horse would be good three years down the road. Well, it's not about three years down the road. It's about right now. We might not have three years down the road. Right. My, my first real cutting horse, you couldn't keep her sound um, unless she had um, aluminum pads underneath her shoes and her front feet. Her front feet were so small and so tender that she wouldn't, you know, she wouldn't just stay sound barefoot. Um, but, you know, with proper, proper shoeing, you know, I, I won a fair amount with her and she taught me everything. Right. Good example, you know, and today there's so many options just like that, just like aluminum shoes and onward. But I, I guess my point is like, you don't have to have perfect to go compete and to win. So may, maybe this leads into the, my next question and maybe it doesn't, but but if, if we could put a billboard up in Billings, Montana with anything on it, um, what would it be and why? By the horse. Maybe I need to put right under it at BLS. How's that? By the horse. <laughs> of because, course. Uh, yeah, by the horse at BLS. That, that's like, like uh, 
you are not guaranteed tomorrow. You are not guaranteed those three years from now or 30 years from now or 60 years from now. And, and I'm not saying throw your money up in the air and run out from underneath it. That's not it. But we might not have tomorrow. And if that's something that you want to do and you want the nice horse, pay the extra to have the good one. You know, like even, even if you got to maintain it, but you're going to go and trail ride on if that's the horse that you want. If you want the buckskin for $2,000 more, buy the buckskin. Don't shoulda, woulda, coulda. Just buy the horse. Oh my gosh, that is so, that is so right on. I, right. I have a dear friend who just purchased a horse from, from your sale and he paid a really nice sum of money for it. And I mean, the man is, is living with someone else's heart being in his chest and it's what he wanted and he has the means to do it. And you know what? I, I, I am so proud of him for stepping up and making that mm -hmm. purchase because it's what he wanted and it, and it's, and it makes him mm -hmm. happy. Mm -hmm. and, and exactly. And I think I know about, right. It, it really is. And I think maybe, you know, we're taught to be somewhat conservative and to be wise, but sometimes, you know, like I've had horses that I don't get along with and, and I'm paying a trainer monthly for it. And I don't like the horse and I got to bite my lip to go show it or whatever. But every month I put it off is one more month worth of training. And even horses that I have at the house is one more month of feeding them. It's one more month of shoeing. Don't have something you don't want. If it only costs 2000 more or 4000 more, buy what you want and rock on. I think that is, that is so outstanding. So if you could turn back time and talk to your 18-year-old 18, 18 Jan, um, what would you tell her? Oh my goodness, girlfriend, don't stress because it all just rolls and it all goes um, how it's supposed to. But you know what, Joe, I think I knew it at 18. I did. I knew that at 18. I, my, I, my parents were really, were wise and did me good. So um, just, just find what you like to do. And, and if you're doing something you don't like to do, figure out what it is you like to do and do what you don't like to do until you can afford to do what you like to do. Okay, that's great. I, I, I love I love. I know, that. I worked three jobs in college. And you know what? Three jobs. And one of them was waiting tables. And you know what? If I had to go wait tables tonight, I still would. I love it. I think about it and I think, gosh, it was hustling. You met people. You got paid for it. I think that's the other thing is don't ever think you're better than doing some of that stuff. Some of that you're going to have to do clean your own stalls, feed your own horses. Yeah. There's, there's nothing, there's nothing uh, demeaning about cleaning stalls. I, I, I mean, there's times when I don't enjoy it, but I, I know after, no. after I clean this clean stalls and look back and it's done right, th there's a bit of pride yeah. in that. Right. And an accomplishment. And then you go on to the next thing. And it's just like the deal about make your bed every morning. Boom. You got that done off the list onto the next thing. Sense of accomplishment feeds the next piece of accomplishment, you know, and it's just like garbage at Billings livestock. I mean, some days I can't stand it. And I just go get a garbage bag and go pick it up. You got to. Um, so, so what, what's the most important 
Um, I'm going to ask this question a little differently. What's what's the most important life lesson horses have taught you? There's no shortcuts. Want me to like go on about it? But I mean, yes, there's I, really no. I do. There's really no shortcuts. I mean, I think that there's opportunities, and sometimes we pass opportunities, and sometimes we seize opportunities. But there's really no shortcuts. There's no free lunch. And you've, you've, I take it you've, you've learned that from experience. You've, you've tried to do things, maybe not all the way, and it, and it didn't turn out for you. Is that fair? Uh yeah, but like, like you, you have to, st- you have to finish what you start. Sometimes you don't want to have to go through the mud in the middle. And there's sometimes I think I just got to get to the other side of it. But you can't forget to enjoy the mud when you're going through it, you know? And I think maybe that with horses, because sometimes you'll get you'll get a horse like a performance horse or even a young horse. You know, sometimes with a young horse, I, I remember thinking, I work this horse every day for seven days and he's just not getting it. And then we'd be gone for two days and you'd come back on the third day. And it was like everything you taught him in those seven days, he knew. And it's like, sometimes you, you can't always have the accelerator down as hard as you'd like it to be. Well, that's, that's a, that's a pretty important thing to learn. Um, mm-hmm. That yeah. uh, maybe, maybe mashing the, mashing the throttle all the way to the floor all the time um, isn't necessarily the best policy as much as we, we no. may want to. Um, I right. want patience, patience right now. <laughs> right. Um, what do you think is the best tip, um, you would give for making the world? If you could, if you could say, you know what, if y'all would just do this, the world would be a better place for horses. Um, for horses? Give me your thoughts on that for horses. What would make this world better for horses? You think? What would make it better? I don't know. Like you got me stumped on that one. I don't know what would make it better for horses. Uh, I really don't. I don't know people that take care of them, but I hope everybody takes care of them. Um, I, I mean, animals are entrusted to us to take care of. So I would hope people take care of them. Well, I, I think one of the one of the things that like comes to my mind, maybe this makes sense, but um, I, I think a lot of people um, need to have more empathy for their horses. I think people try people want to take care of of their horses but i'm not sure people have empathy for their horses in in how they learn what you know stupid horse won't get in the horse trailer but they don't they don't understand or they don't they don't know why that horse won't get in the horse trailer they think the horse is stubborn um well it goes back to horsemanship i mean we just circled right back around to that okay um let's move on to to bigger and better things what, what is the, and I'm sure you're going to hate this, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I think it's important. What's the best compliment okay. you've ever received? <sighs> that I do a good job. Like, like when someone says, hey, thank you. You know, um, you did a good job. We're so happy. That, that is the biggest compliment because you really do work to sell someone's horses good for them. You do not single out people and say, hey, today's the day I'm picking on so-and-so and and we're only going to give them 30 30 seconds in the ring. You know, I I think that 
when you have assembled an A team that and that that takes pride in what they do, when when they, when it is executed with someone that brought you a product that has realistic expectations, who has done their part of it, and it's executed and it lands somewhere where that horse is going to go on. No matter what, no matter what, even if it's going to be a trail horse, a ranch horse, somebody's 4-H horse, somebody's rope horse prospect for the fraternity or whatever, that it lands somewhere and everybody's happy, like that's the best compliment. That is your work rewarded. And, and even personally, like if I have a cutting horse and I show it and somebody wants to buy it, I want them to be successful on my horse. I want them to go and achieve great things on my horse because they're going to come back and buy another one for me. And I, I don't ever think I, I shouldn't have sold that horse. There's not one horse, not one horse that I think I should not have sold. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask this. I, I think I probably already know the, know the answer, but um, What's the biggest competition you've ever entered? How did you get involved? And what did that particular competition teach you? What did you learn from it? Well, that, that's kind of, we already talked about it and don't even really know it. So, so as a cutter, uh, I've had a three-year-old for the NCHA fraternity four times out of the last five years. And two years ago, I bought a horse on an online sale that they no sailed. And I thought, okay, no problem. Well, two months later, this horse had not, they, they'd sold it for what they'd asked for, but didn't pass the vet. So this, the sale manager called me and said, Hey, this horse didn't pass the vet. You were the last bidder in the online sale a while back, make them an offer. And I thought, you know, okay, this is what I can do. This is what I can afford right now. It's kind of out of the blue. I'm not planning it. I got the horse and I made the fraternity finals on it. And I think, you know what? That's the way that was supposed to go. That was supposed to be that way for that horse. It was supposed to be that way for me. And that, as far as the event that I compete in, the NCHA fraternity would be the biggest event. And to be able to finally make the finals, on a horse that I hadn't, um, uh, I wasn't as vested in until closer to the end. I, I, it just tickles me because it just goes to show like, like stuff goes how it's supposed to. Well, congratulations. I, I, I know, I mean, from my standpoint, I know what a big deal that is. You know, you, you making the finals of the futurity it is something truly it's a very small club um i know it right. seems and like there's a I lot of people it's a very small club and it yeah and you know what in the whole big picture does it matter no not really but I, i'm competitive it's the event i compete in and and i got to do that and here's the best part so i showed her a little bit more and then i decided i was a seller because i wanted to buy something else and the day i sold her i sold her at a show the girl that showed her made the finals at the show I sold her at. So it's like, how good could that be? You know, that's if you, if you could, if you could, there's just, there's nothing better you could, you could ask for. Is there uh -uh, none, nothing like, like that's all good. I mean, not in the realm of horses anyway, you know, I mean, it's, it just, it all works out. 
It just does. That's fantastic. Well, let, let's get into, I mean, this is, this is something that I've been, I've been really putting a lot of thought into for the last, oh, probably two years, but um, I, I, I'm really interested in what you have to say on this subject. And that's, what do you think is the reason for the increase in the value of horses? Because, I mean, you, you, you don't have to be a genius to spot a giraffe and a band of sheep. Um, <laughs> the price of horse flesh has gone up. You know, a five hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollar gypsy vanner at the cowgirl Cadillac. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, some people say that's ridiculous. I'd say, you know what? That's really cool. What? What? Why do you yeah, think this is happening? Marketing, and then also you have to go back to September of two thousand and seven. That is where it started. That is the domino that started all the dominoes falling down. That was the closure of the last U.S. processing plant. So all of that, with, with the bottom falling out of the horse market back then, it collided with the recession. So actually, Congress ordered a government accountability study on it. And they took three years of horse sales before the closure from us, so 36 sales, and three years, 36 sales after the closure, and actually put all that together. They used three sales across the country, of which Billings Livestock was one representative of the market. What happened in those three years following the closure were all the horses that got sold because the babies weren't worth much, and the mares weren't worth much, and cattle were worth more. And those people that had 20 mares and a stud or 40 mares and two studs sold out, sold out, sold out. So now we are 14 years, almost 15 years of full crops of every year, another set of mares or or a hundred set of mares and studs being sold. Also at that time, we had the um, hormone HRT and uh, the mare lines that got pulled back too. So all those mares that they use for the hormone replacement therapy, those mares that had babies, those were sold as well. So it's supply and demand, uh, supply diminished. And I don't know that there's an increase in demand. I would say demand stayed constant, but your supply diminished. And then you add that with social media, internet, and people being able to access a better kind of horse, be able to learn more because it's more accessible than it was. I mean, before, like when you went to a chubby clinic, you had to go to the chubby clinic. You couldn't really like watch that online or buy an online series, Right. maybe buy a VHS tape. But I mean, even the VHS tape is miles ahead of what it used to be, you know, there's just more opportunity. So I think horsemanship got better. People got more focused, chose what they wanted to do, be it trail riding, a nice ranch horse, roping, cutting, whatever, sorting. And it just got more refined and there were less horses to choose from. I mean, the horses I watched today at the rope horse fraternity, a lot of them, were horses that came out of cutting programs, or at least the sires are cutting rain cow horse or reining programs. So they have really trickled into the roping big time. Do you think there's an increase in 
in buyers as well. Um, I mean, I've well, I've watched the growth of of like the USTRCA, the the membership growth there. Um, of the what me, now? You kind of cut of out. The, the United States Team Roping uh, oh, yeah. Association. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. it's like 250 some thousand members now, maybe even more. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that just that alone says that there's there's a ton of people that never were really interested in competing in roping, um, you know, getting involved at the grassroots level that, you know, I, I don't know that I don't know that you could sell there wasn't, I don't think, as big a demand for rope horses in 2008 as there is today, um, because mm, it's such a I just don't such think a you big saw sport. It. So it was I there. Th- I don't just think wasn't you publicized. saw it. Well, it just wasn't as united, and 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 then they have the number system, and that le- evens it out so that even when you are a four, you might win ten thousand or forty thousand at places. It's all evolved. It's all evolved, and we've evolved as horse people no matter what it is that we do with it. And we what all about, want a better horse. Okay. What about the influence of, of, of the, the pandemic on, oh, on big horses? Time. As... Okay. So here's what I have. When we, when we went online with our consignment contract versus faxing or mailing them in, and we went online. I thought this is going to be a uh, learning curve here. It's about a two-year learning curve. And now pretty much 98% of the horses are consigned online. Now, what the pandemic did is this. Those people that would call and say, I don't know how to use a computer. I don't know how to do that. How do I do that? That pandemic bumped us up 20 years. We gathered up the next 20 years worth of people that were going to use that as their excuse. I don't know how to do it. They know about Amazon. They know about Zoom. They know about all that. So buying something online isn't foreign like it was because we were all forced to. I mean, we went uh, online with strictly online sales the three months that we didn't have a horse sale due to COVID. And then we've added an online portion to all of our live sales as well. And then look at all the online sales that have propped up in the last two years. People are comfortable with it now because they've learned to trust it, do their homework, make the phone calls, get the extra video, go try the horse and then, and then buy it and not spend three days going somewhere. Yeah. I I know from, from my perspective, I, I have been stunned at the, success of the online horse sale. I, I, it is just, I, if you would have asked me 20 years ago, if someone would buy a horse without ever seeing it in person, I I would have laughed at you and said, you know, you're out of your mind. No no one's going to ride a horse that, you know, nobody's going to buy a horse sight unseen that they haven't ridden and tried out that you just wouldn't ever do that. Um, but, and here we are, right. Right. And, and I'm with you because like I read a quote the other day in an article where I said, this sale will never be online. As long as I'm the manager, it will never be online because I, I really feel like I want to see them, you know, like I want to feel that mojo that one has and that one doesn't have that I thought did, you know, but I am so amazed at the reception of the online, but it takes some refereeing. Because one person's good is not another person's good. 
And, and what one person thinks is good. Like I think back to when Bill and I did our sets of horses for those sales, those horses pale in comparison to the kind of horses I get to ride today or the kind you get to ride today or the kind I saw today at the rope horse fraternity pale. But at the time, those were the best horses I'd ever ridden. Right. And that, I mean, you still have people like that today that are at that point in their, what would you say, their horse journey. So you can't say, don't give me that, that that's, not, that that's the best horse you've ever ridden. Because honestly, to them, it is the best horse they've ever ridden. And if we're Leo, what was alive today, I don't want to show him. But do you know what? At the time, he was the best horse I ever had my leg over. And I mean, that's what it is. And that's why it's hard. That's why it is real hard with horses. Um, because one person's good is not another person's good. And, and people are not honest with their ability. Well, I rode a horse once two years ago. Yeah, I can ride. Uh-huh. You get some of that. But as far as the online goes, I mean, it, it takes some refereeing. But for the most part, wow, the good way outweighs the bad. Yeah, I, I just. I, you don't I, I win all the time. That's the other part. Like, you don't win all the time. And people need to realize that, too. I mean, sometimes you're going to get a horse that wasn't what you thought. But that person did not set out to deceive you. You want to jump to that conclusion, but you got to slow down. You got to think, you know what? <sighs> Maybe it was the best horse that kid ever had. So, yeah, let's 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 kind of dig into that, because what do I need if I'm if I'm going to come to Billings Livestock later this month mm -hmm. and buy and buy a horse? Um, mm -hmm. What do I need to know to safely purchase a horse at, at, at BLS? Mm, well, you need to do your homework. Okay, specifically, what what do I need to investigate? What you kinds of questions do calls? I need to ask? What what do I need to ask? What do I need to see? What what, what is your advice for the for the newer, not maybe not the first time, but the newer horse, the person that's going to step up and say, "All right, I think I can buy a horse in an auction." Um, what does that person need to know to come and successfully be a buyer? Figure out what you really want. Like, like get to the nuts and bolts of what you really want, not what you think you want, not what your wife thinks you want, not what your brother thinks you want, but what you want. Go through that list of horses, make a short list, make the phone calls, ask for more video. If x-rays are important to you, do it. Ask them, pay for them, get what makes you comfortable to buy the horse. But I really think if it's your first or second time, you really need to go to the horse sale because I cannot tell you how many times it's every single month, somebody, and I'm going to use this term because I, I just talk like I am, right? I, somebody wears me out about how good their horse is. And I see it and I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. And then there will be the nicest gelding with a one sentence description that will knock your socks off. But that guy isn't into writing four paragraphs of footnotes. He just right. wrote nice horse ranched on. And when you see him, you think, whoa, how nice is he? It happens every single month. No, I, I I absolutely see that, and and that that's at at virtually every 
every auction. Um, yeah, it doesn't matter and, if it's mine or Central Washington or Clovis, New Mexico. I mean, it's just because one person's good is not another person's good. And how one person does it, we base normal on ourselves. And so you want to project your normal onto the guy that wrote one sentence of footnotes. But he wants to, he looks at someone that wrote four paragraphs and went, whoa, you know, I, I can't believe somebody write that much, right? Right. It's not that complicated. So, you mean, <laughs> right. I mean, that, that's, it's just, you base normal on you. You got to like, like be a little more open-minded. That might be it. And you know what? I want to give you an example. I remember one year and this is back when we were two days and lots of horses. And I had a Canadian customer call me. The catalog was already done. He says, Hey, I got this I got this sorrel grade mare and she's a head horse. I want to put her in the horse sale. He's like, what do you think? And I remember I said, don't put her in. I said, you're going to sell at midnight. And he's like, well, can I still rope on her? And I said, yeah, you can rope on her. I mean, but we're going to, we rope at 11 o'clock sale starts at noon. You're at the end, you're midnight. And you want me to do the best job I can for you. Don't put your horse in. I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm going to veer off here for a second, but that's what I'd want someone to tell me. I mean, you got to treat people how you want to be treated. And mm -hmm. I get it. Sometimes I, I chew on some people, but listen, if I did that, I'd get chewed on too. Not about that horse deal, but on other things. So, so he's like, nope, nope, nope. Got a seller, got a seller. Well, that day at the preview, I was like, oh my gosh, I watched her go. And it's like, holy Hannah, how nice is she? And I'm trying to text Bill because I wanted to make sure he could could see it because he was going to be up on the block doing the announcing you know and I, I couldn't get him and I look up and he's backed in the box on her I mean I, I didn't have to tell him he saw it everybody saw it and that night when she sold at midnight there were mm, I'm going to say two guys that had made the NFR that were standing behind the door other people in the crowd that also knew it and that mayor brought as much at midnight as she'd have brought at two in the afternoon that's the power of a preview and also a lesson in a plain sorrel mare with no papers. If, if you wouldn't have been there to see it, you wouldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. Pretty is as pretty does. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So on, on that so, subject or on that side of the coin, let's talk about this. What, what, what do I need to know to effectively market my horse at Billings Livestock? You need to be honest. And uh, the better your picture, the better I'm going to do for you. Don't take it head on with your cell phone. But everybody thinks, oh, I can't consign my horse until I get a picture. So I'm going to take a picture right now. I'm going to get it consigned. Okay. You just opened up the door for somebody to repackage your horse and make more money on it later. You know, first class effort gets you first class results. I don't care if it's cutting, roping, or selling your horse. The better job you do, the better we can do for you. So I want a good picture, pre preferably two or three or four, if you're going to put it on the online part, because now we can take up to four pictures. I would like you to do a video and not just one afternoon, like, like get your horse crossing the creek or take, take video from the branding, take video at the jackpot, take video of your horse turning back or bringing the cows in or, or your, your, um, kid riding it at the 4-H horse show, you know, and make a nice video and, and get it on YouTube and then use your social media 
to drive the customers to the horse sale. Push them. Don't price your horse because it's an auction. It doesn't mean you can't in the back of your mind think you have a number. Everybody is entitled to that. But if you do your homework, you do it right, your horse is going to bring more than you thought when it's executed. Okay, excellent advice. I, 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 I've, seen, I've seen buyers or, or sellers that do a good job of that, and they, they consistently get better prices. Uh, the guy that comes to mind is Ken McNabb. Um, you know, mm -hmm. he, puts, he puts a lot of effort into his training program, but he also does nice videos and, and, and a lot of social media marketing to back up mm -hmm. his, his product. And it's obvious it works. Right. And, and like, like that's the best way to do it. And don't price your horse because here's what happens. If you say, boy, I hope it brings 5,000. You're going to have the people that think, boy, I can't believe you'd think that horse would bring 5,000. I only have 3,500 and that's what it's worth. Well, you've lost them. They're not even going to come look because they don't, they think you're not going to take a penny less than 5,000. And then you got the guy that just looked at one that was like it the other day and it brought 15,000. And he's going to say, oh my God, he must have a foot cut off. What's wrong? Why would he only want 5,000? It's an auction. That's yeah. why it's an auction. Price yeah, discovery I... starts here. Do I your job. That... Show your horse. Yeah, yeah. I made that decision a, a couple of weeks ago. I, I priced a mare too cheap and the guy that bought her just couldn't, he just couldn't wait to write the check. Um, and then mm -hmm. after he wrote the check, he's like, well, why do you have her you know, was she founded or, you know, why is she, why was she mm -hmm, so cheap? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, well, mm -hmm. you know, I had her priced up there and I didn't get the response I wanted. And so, you know, we adjusted the price and, you know, I shot myself in the foot because I, I didn't let the market price the horse. I, I, I used what I thought I knew as, as, as the price. And, and, and that's, I guess that's one of the reasons why uh, auctions we're going to, let's lead into that. What are the pros and cons of using an auction to buy and sell horses? Oh my gosh, because it's true price discovery if everybody does their job. That is, that's why a horse brought 500,000. Because apparently two people thought it was worth that. Yeah, it wasn't just one person's opinion, right? Right. And so, you know, what do you suppose she'd ask for that horse at home? I don't know. She wouldn't because she knows. She knows how that goes. And, and I do too, you know, like, like, and, and here's the other part. I think that without licensed and bonded livestock auctions who do set the price, because we are subject to audit by the USDA Packers and Stockyards at any point. If I say a horse brings 100,000, that horse better have brought 100,000. And if I say so-and-so consigned it and so-and-so bought it, that better be the way it is in the books, right? So without licensed and bonded markets who are required to tell the truth, how do you really know what horses are worth? Because you can say, well, I heard my neighbor got this much for his horse, or so-and-so said she sold her barrel horse for this much. Well, I mean, how do you verify it? You, yeah. I mean, the way it's verified is the fact that credible licensed and bonded markets sold a horse for X number of dollars. And that is why we have always said what the horse is. 2017 AQHA Bay Mare by Playgun out of, uh, you know, smart little Lena Mare brought X. Uh, 2 I Jack 2012 
buckskin gelding brought this. It's, it's how the price out in the free world is even set because how would you even know, how would you know that you think your horse is worth 15,000 unless you saw a comparable figure like that? Well, exactly. I mean, that's, that's, mm-hmm. how do you know what, how to price your horse? How do you, how do you know right. how to price your house? How do you know how to price, you know, right. if you're going to sell your truck, right. what, what's my truck right. worth? Well, right. you know, without having a reputable baseline for that, you're just guessing. Right. right. And I think that because horses are how horses are, they're more of a hobby for most people. That, that's where you trip into it, where trading cars really isn't a hobby for people. It's done by professionals. Real estate marketing is done by professionals. And I mean, yeah, you can go sell your house, but how do you know you got enough, especially in this market? Same thing for horses. And you know what? Your horse might have a great big bump on your knee. And like, that's something else I want to say. So like, like, like the trained eye knows that, but, but I may have someone who's, when I say, hey, what about that bump? And I mean, this happens. What about that bump? Oh, he's always had it. That doesn't bother him. Right. He's still got the bump. No, I can't that's... send that horse to you without saying he's got the bump. And that guy's like, well, he had it when I bought him. So I just thought it was part of him. Yeah, it is part of him, but he's got a bump. Yeah, you got to. That's 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 my my belief is, is you have to call those things out and and stop stop telling yourself that it's because the source has a blemish that he's unsellable. I mean, I've, I've sold plenty of horses, full disclosure, you know, Hey, this horse, you know, if you want to go ride this horse hard, you're going to have to give him Prevacox for three days before you go and a couple of days after, but you know, you Mm -hmm. can go into the back country and this horse is going to keep you safe. And Mm-hmm. Know, right. And, right. And he's only $3,500. You know, you're not spending $20,000 on this, on this right. four-year-old that, that you think you want, you know, this horse is 15 right. and he's, he's been there, done that on the ranch and yeah, he's got some arthritis, but what is serviceably sound? And, and, and I, and I think that's something that I wish, I wish buyers would, would understand what you've said about a horse, not having to be perfect to be extraordinarily right. valuable. Well, you know what, Joe? It's kind of like a marriage. There's pluses and minuses. And you got to find <laughs> the pluses you have to have and the minuses you can live without. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Jan, I'm going to ask you one more question and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. Um, what, um, what are your goals for, this, for the rest of this coming year, for 2022? What, uh, what do you see in your future? What, what are you working hard towards making a reality for, for 2022? Well, we are going to continue to make Billings Livestock um, cutting edge leader. I am not going to close my eyes to what brought me to the dance. We are going to continue with our previews uh, every sale, the day prior, the day of in the BLS arena. We're going to add some more online only sales as we go forward. Um, we're just going to continue to make it better, uh, grow our Instagram, grow our Facebook, uh, just continue every day, just like we have for 24 years to make it better and to be part of the change and to lead the change maybe, huh? Right. I mean, don't, don't you think that social media has just, has been a godsend for us? 
I mean, people in a complain way, I mean, all the time about Facebook and Instagram and how worthless they are. But, but I know personally, um, in my marketing efforts, it, it's been amazing. Um, difference well, between Facebook and Craigslist. Right, right. Um, actually, like I, I think it's the devil, but you have to learn to, t- to tame the devil and learn how to make the devil work for you. Right. And totally. And I think too, like as a horse sale manager, I I went to the world's greatest horseman this year. That was so incredible. And, and that was sold out at Will Rogers sold out for the finals. And, and I was really proud of that finals because of the uh, conglomeration of people there. It was there, there were three people of that top 15 whose roots were in Montana and the little gal from Idaho won the youth. And I mean, it was, it was really, really a neat event. And the rope horse fraternity today, today was the healing and the healing finals. Like, like just watching that and knowing what I can go home with, with what I learned to apply to Billings. Like you just got to keep your mind open and, and, and you really can't get complacent. You can, but mm, not if you want to grow. Well, Jan, I, I, I so appreciate you uh, making time for me on a uh, out of town at an event and, and you still took the time. It means everything. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for joining me on Horse Sense 101 a podcast dedicated to helping you have that meaningful relationship with your horse you always wanted to have. Please tell your horsey friends about us and invite them to join us on our Facebook group, Horse Sense 101, and every Monday for our podcast available at 6 a.m. Mountain Time. I would like to thank you, my listeners, Ms. Jan Parker with Billings Livestock, as well as my wife and friends who make this podcast possible. God bless you all and have a wonderful week. Up in Story County Mustang still runs free. Eagle soars above the pinion pines. And we know these horses stand for something that is precious and more rare than all the silver and the gold from them old mines. So let them run. Let them run. Let them wild ponies run. Don't you brand them, don't you break them Don't you let the killers take a sin